You're listening to audio from Harvest Bible Chapel, Philadelphia, where we believe in preaching the authoritative power of God's Word each and every week. For more content and information about our church, visit harvestphiladelphia.org. You can go ahead and grab a copy of God's Word and meet me in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 this morning, as we continue in our series, Embracing the Supremacy of Christ. You can raise your hand if you need a Bible. Up to this point, we've defined supremacy as that person or thing who in your heart or mind surpasses everything else in status, power, and authority. In other words, it's that person or thing that you give permission to have authority over your life. Now, in chapter 1 of Colossians, Paul has been arguing that the only person that should have that authority in your life is Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, Paul has been showing us that there's an ocean of thinking in our world that would seek to drag us away with rip currents of false teaching and rob our confidence in the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ in our lives. But now as we enter into chapter 3, Paul wants to show us what life under the supremacy of Christ actually looks like. Now, in chapter 2, he's going to pick up a theme that he began. Actually, in chapter 3, he's going to pick up a theme that he began in chapter 2, verse 6. And I want to read chapter 2, verse 6, because it's the foundation of chapter 3. But chapter 2, verse 6 says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, in all that he is, God, who came down, wrapped himself in flesh, died in our place, and rose again. So walk in him, live in him, conduct your life, pattern your life in him. Chapter 3 is all about what life in Christ really looks like. In chapter 3, we're going to see that there are vices and virtues to be put on and put off, new identities Uh, developed in Christ, relationships redefined, worship in family and work, all given meaning and purpose, all because of Christ. He says, if you are to be in Christ, your life will radically change. But the thing that must change first, if your life is to genuinely, lastingly change, your thinking must change. That's why it says in chapter 3, verse 1, If then if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him. Paul throughout his writings establishes for us this truth that thinking is foundational to living. Specifically, he tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, he tells us that we have been gifted with the mind of Christ. And Jesus himself in Matthew 22 tells us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And science agrees. The National Science Foundation actually tells us the average person thinks 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day, which means you think 35 to 48 separate individual thoughts every single minute, which means your mind is an ocean 
of ideas and images and feelings, theories, doubts, dreams, desires. But what is fascinating is that the National Science Foundation tells us that 95% of those thoughts aren't new. They're established recurring thought patterns that rarely, if ever, change, which means you have an deeply ingrained mindset in you that governs how you live your life. And the problem with that is that if we back up to chapter 1, verse 13, we find that because we were born into a kingdom of sin and death and darkness, our minds have been twisted and corrupted by sin. Chapter 1, verse 13. That's why Jesus came. He has, chapter 1, verse 13, he has delivered us from the dominion, the control, our enslavement to darkness and transferred us, that is sin and death, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, if we have been raised with Christ, church, we have to go through massive rewiring in our brains to think correctly. Reprogramming in our minds must occur about how we think about ourselves and each other and God and the world that we see around us. And so what Paul is going to do in verses 1 through 4 is he's going to download some unbelievable, earth-shattering, window-rattling, mind-altering truths and realities that will transform the way we think about life itself. Amen? So, we're going to walk through it one verse at a time. But before we begin, let's pray. Father, we want to think and have the mind of Christ. We want to think right about who we are. We want to think right about who you are. We want to think correctly about the world around us. And most importantly, Father, we want to identify the lies that we've fallen prey to. But to do that, we need your word to give us clarity. So God, because we trust it, God, because we trust your word. God, because we believe that this is your truth that you have given to us. Father, help us to let it reprogram our thinking so that we think and have the mind of Christ today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the first mind-altering, mindset-shifting truth that will radically transform the way we think is number one, you are a new creation. The first thing that you have to understand about who you are in Christ is that you are a new creation. It says here in verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ. Now Paul is drawing an intentional parallel that we saw a couple weeks ago in chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 where he says that there are certain things that have happened if we identify with Christ by faith. We have been, look at what it says in verse 11, we have been circumcised. We have died with him in his death. Verse 12, we have been buried with him in which you were also raised with him through faith. This is that doctrine, that beautiful doctrine that we talked about a couple of weeks ago called imputation. Imputation we saw a couple of weeks ago was the legal forensic term that changes our legal standing before God. I use the analogy of the wedding. 
when two people stand in front of the pastor and one person says to the other, I do, and they become man and wife, and the person says, now by the power invested in me and by the power of the state in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, I now declare so and so and so, oh, Dalton and Madeline, husband and wife, you may kiss the bride. You're looking forward to that day, amen? Amen. <laughs> You're looking forward to that day. Uh, but what changes about Dalton and Madeline in that moment? Well, nothing intrinsic about who they are. I mean, they're still the same people, but what changes is the way the state, the way you and I, the way they see and treat each other. And more importantly, the way the state, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania sees and treats them. And when we say, I do to Jesus, there's a lot about us that doesn't change right off the bat. We still have the same busted up personality and sin struggles and bad habits and broken relationships. But here's the key. God sees and treats you as if you don't. God sees and treats you as if you don't have any of that junk. Why? Look back at the text. Because if you have been raised with Christ, God sees you as brand new. God sees you as if that old you that was controlled by sin and death is dead and buried and gone. And that new you has been raised as a brand new baby. And I love every week I show up, I feel like we got a new baby in our church right now. It is awesome. Tim and Jenna, who usually sit right over here in this area, they just had their baby this last week. Praise God. And I was, I was reminiscing with Miranda, like every one of our four girls that we held in our arms, we would get that little girl in our arms. We would just look at every one of them. And I know every parent tends to say this about their child. Like, she's what? Perfect. No baggage. There's no history. There's, there's, there's no pain or hurt associated with this relationship in any way. It's perfect. And when God looks at you, raised with Christ, new creation, he looks at you like a mommy looks at her brand new baby as perfect. If you have been raised, God does not see you and treat you as if you have baggage. He sees you and treats you as if you are holy and righteous and perfect and radiant. And that's why he says, if you have been raised with Christ, here is the admonition. Be who you are in Christ. Live out God's view of who you are. This is what needs to change our thinking. If God sees you as holy, then be holy. If God sees you as brand new, then live a new life. If God sees you as righteous, then conform your life to righteousness and all its requirements. Change because God sees you as brand new. Amen? When you know how God sees you, then you'll know how you are to see yourself and you will know how you are to live. You are a new creation and when you remember that, the next time you want to act out and go back to the sin and the muck and the mire that you once lived in. Remember, you are a new creation in Christ. You have been set free from all of that garbage and you have been set free. Don't go back to slavery. Number two, you have a new address. 
verses one and two says this, if you have been raised with Christ, then seek those things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You, did you know you actually have a new address? If you have been raised with Christ, you are a foreigner, a stranger, an alien in this land. Say, so, well, I live here in America. This is where I was born. No. You are a stranger here. This world is not your home. I was talking with a new friend just the other day um, who's from another country here on a work visa, has been for quite some time, and he was telling me that unfortunately in our situation, when you come to the end of a contract, you have to make sure that you don't go shopping at Costco because you don't know if you're going to be around much longer. So we don't go buying bulk items in Costco because we don't know if we're going to have to get up and leave. But the reality is, so many of us as believers in Jesus Christ, we're buying at Costco all the time because we think this is, this is our home and we're always going to be here. And the reality is, this is not our home. We're just a passing through. We are foreigners. We are strangers. We are pilgrims in this land. Here is our new home that Paul describes for us here. And if we understand that this is not our home and that we have a new address, those, then that should, that new address should govern um, how we make decisions in this world. But what is our new address? Check out what it says. If, these, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things which are above. Our new address is above. That is, it's not in the clouds. It's not in the space. It's not above the stars. It's above in a place that's independent from creation, untouched by the curse of sin. Your new address is a place where doctors, lawyers, and dentists will be welcomed, but their services will not be required. Your new address is above. Look at what else it says about your new address. It's where Christ is seated. That means that this is a place of completion. That is that Jesus Christ only sits down only sits down when the work is done. Did you catch that? Jesus only sits down when the work is what? Done. It's a place of completion. And you might say, well, Pastor Matt, I look around at my life and I think to myself, wow, I don't feel complete. I mean, check it out. Chapter three, verse five, I still struggle with some of these things. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Pastor Matt, I still struggle with some of those things. Chapter three, verse eight, I still struggle with some of these. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Pastor Matt, I certainly don't feel complete. Here is God's promise. God views you as complete. Jesus is currently finishing the work and he sits in the future promising you by seating on his throne, I will get the job done no matter what. That's why Philippians chapter one, verse six, Paul writes these words, he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ when he returns. You will be complete one day. And that is the place. That is your new address. But here's what else he says. You will be seated at the right hand of God. Your new home is a place of highest honor and dignity and power and authority. This is a place where Jesus rules and reigns over every ruler, every authority, every angel, every demon. There is nothing that happens in this world that does not pass through 
this new place that we will go to and not get the stamp of approval from Jesus Christ, our ultimate authority. This is the new place, our home. If you think about it, this is the GPS, our final destination. When we get into our van uh, this summer and we head on down to, where are we going to Florida this summer? I don't even know. We're going somewhere down in Florida to meet our family and we drive the thousand plus miles. We log into our phone and I put into Google Maps and I find that blue little dot on my phone and it tells me exactly where I need to go. And so when I know that where that little blue dot is, that determines what turns I take, what stops I make, what places I eat or don't, what people see or don't. And here's the thing. Paul is saying, this is your new address. This is your GPS destination. And this new address is the thing that should govern the direction of your entire life. It should determine the stops that you make, the decisions that you make, the people that you spend time with, the turns that you take. It should govern everything about your life. Let me tell you this. The GPS, the blue dot on your GPS is not your job. That is not your final destination, church. The GPS is not, uh, the, the blue dot is not your career. The blue dot is not even your family or your kids. Because we will not be married and given in marriage in heaven either. The final blue dot, the final destination is this place where we will be above with Christ who is seated at the right hand of God and the greatest treasure that will be in heaven for us is not that we get to see some of our family members who passed on before us, but that we get to see Jesus and spend eternity with him. That is the blue dot on the GPS map. And that is the moment that should govern every decision that we make in this life as we move forward. Set your minds on that address. Set your mind on being raised with Christ. And set your mind on this. Your death is behind you. Your death is behind you, verse 3. It says, for you have died. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. One of the greatest mindset-altering realities of the Christian faith in the universe is that you have already died if you are in Christ. That is that to God, your death has already happened. You might say, well, Pastor Matt, when did that happen? Well, look back at chapter 2, verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through faith. That moment when you placed your confidence in Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his substitution on that cross for you, dying in your place on that cross for your sins, and your trust that he actually rose from the grave as the the scriptures proclaim, that was your moment where you trusted and you placed your faith in Jesus. Faith is the supernatural instrument that unites you with Christ in his death so that God sees you and treats you as if you died. You say, Pastor Matt, I don't, I'm pretty sure I haven't died. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at myself right now. I can pinch myself. I mean, if you pinch your skin right now, Peter, are you dead? Nope. Okay, good. I'm glad because... Um, I, p- Wait, I'm not dead, but here's the beauty of imputation is that God sees you as if you have already died, which means when you enter into eternity, there is nothing waiting for you 
but life. Our identity with Christ by faith ensures that we have passed from death to life, that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord for eternity. And if we allow this reality to grip us, it will put steel in our spines. If we understand that our death is behind us, it will take the most fearful, timid Christian and turn them into the most bold, fearsome lion if this truth can grip them. Once you know and understand that the worst that this life can threaten you with, death, is behind you, and that the best that this life can offer you can't compare with what awaits you when you see Jesus, then, they, then you all of a sudden realize that there's nothing in this life that can stop you from living full out for Jesus. Nothing. When you understand this truth that your death is behind you, all the pain, all the frustration, all the ambiguity, all the uncertainties of this life are bookended by two incomprehensibly glorious truths that your death was arrested at the day of the cross and what awaits you when you see Jesus face to face is makes all the struggles of this life seem like a comma and the story of eternity. All the opposition, all the suffering, all the hardship, all the struggle, all the trial. It's all a comma in the story of your life if you are in Christ. Your death is behind you. Jesus is before you. You have nothing to fear in this life. But you have to let this truth grip you. Because if you don't, you will start to live for this life. And fear will run your life. Number four, your life is hidden with Christ. Verse three, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You know, the realities of things like imputation, the presence of the Holy Spirit, our struggle to live by faith creates an inconvenient truth that it's impossible for an onlooking world to see and understand why we won't march to its tune. Did you catch that? Because of the realities of our faith, because of the way God sees and treats us, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, because we live by promises written in a book over 2,000 years ago, because of all of these realities, we live in a world, an onlooking world that sees us and cannot comprehend why we won't march to its tune. I'm reminded of the story of Franz Jägerstatter. This is his picture. He was an Austrian farmer in the 1930s. And during that season, he was called to fight for the Nazis in World War II. They were drafting young men to come and fight in their armies. And uh, he had come to faith in Christ. Uh, His wife, whom he married, was a devout Catholic woman. And Catholicism, of course, back then meant different things. But uh, she was devoutly religious and loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And marrying her, she began to follow, he began to follow Jesus. 
And when the Nazi army came to his door knocking for him to join their army, he began to realize that the ideology of the Nazi regime was incompatible with the teachings of Jesus Christ. And because of that, he became one of the first conscientious objectors. You see, to the Nazis, Franz was an enigma. They could not comprehend why they wouldn't, he would not join their army. They were going to rule the world. To the Catholic Church in his area, he was a fool because they didn't see what the point was with trying to resist the Nazi regime. And to many of his countrymen, he was called a traitor to his face, spat upon because he would not join. And ultimately, for his efforts, he left behind a wife and several children, and he was killed because he would not march to the tune of the world around him. You see, my church, we are a hidden people. The Christian is a mystery to the world in which we live. We are a mystery to the world around us because our life is hidden. Your death and your resurrection in Jesus Christ is hidden from the world. They cannot see it. The power of the Holy Spirit that lives within you is hidden from the world. It cannot see it. The treasures that you are currently storing up for heaven are hidden. No one can see them. The rewards that await for you in heaven that are coming to you are hidden. No one else can see them. The real you, the renewed you, the person that is you are becoming in Jesus Christ is hidden from this world. This world cannot see it, cannot comprehend it. They will not applaud it. They will try to resist you and squash it because you are hidden and you are hidden in Christ. And the reality of this profound hiddenness creates several tensions for us in the Christian faith, does it not? It creates this tension. Number one, Jesus said, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. For many people, we are too, too many of us are too too hidden. Does that make sense? Our lives are hidden with Christ, but we're too hidden. We're closet Christians, afraid to stand out, idolatrous of the praise, approval, and the worship of men. And so we hide because the world doesn't get it, because the world doesn't understand, because the world can't comprehend where we're coming from or how we think or what motivates us in this life, we'd rather just never talk about it because people never get it. Am I preaching? And so some of us just stay hidden from the world. We've all heard stories of men and women who have passed away and died and left millions and millions to their families and many of their families who have testified, we had no idea he was a millionaire. He didn't live like a millionaire. He didn't buy things like a millionaire. He didn't live his life like a millionaire. We had no idea that he was a millionaire because there was no evidence of it. And I think so true of so many believers in Jesus Christ, we are so hidden that people have no idea the treasures that we enjoy in Jesus Christ. The treasures of joy and peace and hope and courage and boldness. We are so hidden that the world never sees anything different about us. They think we're just like them. Our lives are too hidden. That's one tension. Here's the other one. These realities at times seem so hidden to us. We oftentimes ask this question. 
is the sacrifice really worth it? Or do our sacrifices, like a tree falling in the forest, in the forest, even make a sound if no one ever hears it? Do our sacrifices even matter? The story of Franz, Franz Jägerstatter, was a hidden story for decades. The story of Franz, if I could have his picture up there again, when he was killed by the Nazi regime for refusing, because of his faith, to fall in line with their ideology and their march across Europe, he was brutally tortured and killed, ripped away from his loving wife and family. And for years, his story went hidden from the world. No one celebrated Franz. No one looked to him as an example. No one looked to him or looked up to him as a man worthy to be followed. He was just another victim and a long line of people who died at the hands of the Nazi regime. It wasn't until a sociologist in 1963 dug up his story and began to put it out in publications where people began to recognize the courage that Franz had to resist. It was only recently, until 2019, when Terrence Malick made a movie out of his life that this generation had any clue who Franz really was and why he took his stand. And the reality is we stand between these two tensions because our life is hidden with Christ and God. One tension is on one side of the ditch, we just, we are too hidden unwilling to take our stand because we live in a world that doesn't get it, doesn't understand it. They don't, and they, it just seems like all they want to do is squash us for our faith. There's one tension. The other tension is even when we do make those sacrifices, it seems like we got to pay the ultimate price. And the reality is we live between these two tensions because we follow a savior who died on a cross. We follow a savior that promised us They have hated me. They will hate you. We follow a savior who didn't come for to be coddled and pampered and to live in comfort. He came to give his life and sacrifice so that others may live. That's the kind of savior in whose life our lives are hidden. And so we leave, we live between these two tensions a profound hiddenness that will never be resolved until the day we die and we meet Jesus face to face. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. And that creates a tension for you that you and I must live with. But here is the promise that makes it all worth it. Verse four. When Christ who is Christ, who is your life, appears. Then you, you also will appear with him in glory. In a moment, in the 
twinkling of an eye, your Savior will appear. All the glorious realities of your faith that right now are yet hidden will explode into blinding glory. Like a bolt of lightning penetrating a dark sky at night, Jesus Christ will appear in all of his glory and radiance and splendor and majesty. And when he does, all that has been hidden in your life, the faith, the promises, the spirit of God, all of the suffering and sacrifice, all of the sudden, when Jesus Christ explodes onto the scene, all of the sudden, it will all become reality. Jesus is alive. He's here. And everything I've put my life into and given and sacrificed for, it's real. And he is here. All will be made clear in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And every person that ever thought you were a fool, stupid, ignorant, whatever name you got to label yourself for being a Christian and believing in all of this stuff in the twinkling of an eye, just blink. And what was hidden will be made fully known to a world who never got you, never understood you. And all of a sudden, it will no longer be hidden. The creator, the sustainer, the redeemer, the one who you pattern your life after will no longer be hidden. And you shall be just like him. And you shall be for eternity as God sees you now. So what must we do? These are mindset changing realities that must shape the way we think about the life around us. What must we do with these realities? Look back at verse one. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above. You must seek these realities. You must plumb the depths of these realities. You must come over every detail and their implications for your lives. You must follow every lead of the truth of these promises, no matter where they take you and what sacrifices they require. You must investigate every question until those questions are answered, never leaving a stone unturned. We must seek the things that are above. Set our minds on the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And as you do that, you will find that that 95% of settled thinking in your mind will begin to make way to the 5% of new thinking that the Bible introduces to you and it will radically change your life. You know, there's a reason why advertisers pay $5 million dollars for a 30-second ad in the Super Bowl. Did you know that? A couple years ago, it was a million dollars for a 30-second ad, and now we're up to $5 million for an ad in the Super Bowl. You know why that is? Because they know that if they put an ad for a delicious triangle troublemaker 
sprinkled in cheese that you're going to go out and buy a bag of Doritos. There's a reason why you buy more Doritos after the Super Bowl because you saw a really funny commercial and then you saw it again and again and again and you saw it on cable TV and then you saw it on your Facebook feed and you wonder how did Facebook figure out that I saw a Doritos commercial and, and then you see it in your email and then you see it on a billboard and all of a sudden you have this insatiable appetite for Doritos that you've never had before. Why do I want Doritos? I don't even think I'd like Doritos. Do I like Doritos? And you start to question everything and it messes with your mind. All of a sudden you go out and you buy Doritos. You're like, I don't even like these things, but I got to have one. They're seeking you. You seek this. Run the ad. You play it and put it in front of your eyes over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. A life lived by faith is a life lived in the promises of this book regardless of what we think or how we feel or how this world treats us, we allow this book to reshape our thinking, our patterns of living, because if we truly believe that Jesus is supreme over this universe and this world, then we will allow him to be supreme over every detail of our life. But we must change our thinking if we are going to change our living. Father in heaven, We love you, we praise you, we thank you for who you are. And I pray, God, that today, as we consider just our simple thought patterns of how we think about this world, how we think about you, how we think about each other, how we think about ourselves, Father, we recognize that much of that is tainted by sin. And Father, has, has to be renewed. So Father, I pray, God, that we would be a people serious about this Seeking, seeking these things that are above, thinking about these things that are above, where Christ is seated. That these things that are above, these realities that are true, would radically reshape and transform the way we think about ourselves right now, so that the way we live our lives will be transformed as well. Father, your son is the king. Help us to enthrone him on our hearts and in our minds as king. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Harvest Bible Chapel, Philadelphia. For more audio, content, and information about our church, visit harvestphiladelphia.org.